This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 to 1. Loads of nice tweets and messages last uh, yesterday about the uh, episode. I mean, Finkelvich are always good, but particularly about the, um, the conversation we had about Boris Johnson being slightly rebooted. Well, is he being rebooted for PMQs? We'll find out in PMQs Unpacked. That's coming up uh, later in the episode, but we'll kick off with today's columnist panel. No Alice Thompson today, so no Camp Alice. Instead, it's John Kampfner and Kate Andrews. Now then, let's talk about. There's a really interesting. Uh, there's a report out today from the Institute of Economic Affairs, which suggests there's been an outbreak of confirmation bias around ideas about the NHS uh, during the pandemic. It says that uh, it includes ideas the NHS has performed brilliantly during the pandemic, and that it was left unprepared for a pandemic by years of austerity. And it's sort of challenging these assumptions and uh you know the, the thing that we apparently now all all come to accept i mean should point out the institute of economic affairs is a is a think tank on the right it's previously called for um, a sort of more privatized uh healthcare system but is it right do you think kate uh, to be challenging these assumptions uh, about the nhs because it's i'll be honest having done it before myself any sort of implied criticism of the NHS, it is a bit, it's almost, um, you know, blasphemous uh, to do it. Yeah, sacrilegious. Culture. Well, the IEA is my old stomping ground um, and uh, uh, very, I'm very much in line with uh, Dr. Christian Nemitz's findings in this report um, as somebody who's criticized the NHS as well on, frankly, many occasions. Unfortunately, very quickly, people want to make it a personal issue. They want to make it an issue almost of moral character, that somehow you're attacking uh, the doctors and nurses and staff who've worked tirelessly throughout a pandemic or at any time to help save people's lives. Um, but, you know, there's no mention of that in this report, despite what some Labour MPs who will go unnamed have been saying on Twitter. The report is looking at the systems, the institution, the structure in which these doctors and nurses and staff have to work in. And it's showing how oftentimes it, it disappoints. 
What, what do you think, uh, John? I've tried to I've tried to sort of dip my toe into this before with with, with limited success. But the joy the distinct is entirely possible to say. Blimey, people, nurses and doctors work on the front line have been extraordinary in the past 12 months. But the NHS is just an arm of the government and sometimes it does stuff well and sometimes it does stuff badly. And we should be able to point out the bad stuff. Yeah, completely. I mean, the IEA I've followed, God, for as long as I've been involved in journalism and things around journalism, it's always been good at being the counterintuitive force on the right, challenging assumptions and I think it's always good no matter what your politics and my politics are not the IA's politics it's always good to challenge things and the NHS is absolutely not sacrosanct I remember for you Matt back in about a year ago when the uh, well it must be about 10 months ago uh, when the clap for carers uh, the clap for the NHS thing was on um, and writing a piece for Redbox saying hold on a second guys this is just feel good stuff this is classic confirmation bias sort of let's all feel good by agreeing uncritically that something is good and it doesn't particularly serve much purposes uh, apart from making ourselves feel better and I have banged on ever since the Covid crisis started that leaving aside the recent good performance on vaccinations the British response has been a shambles from the get-go. And we haven't got time to rehearse every single chapter of the mayhem and the chaos. And it has been a failure of politics and a failure of political direction. And, of course, the NHS is part of that. And to say that is absolutely fine. But the the IEA report, uh, fine praising China, South Korea other countries well absolutely but there is a degree of societal and political dirigism of people doing what they're told sometimes out of semi-coercion and sometimes that's just because the way societies are structured but it forgot to say that and I know you always like to do the drum roll at this point countries like Germany and others have to (laughs) That's what you always do whenever I say that, which you have to rely on me doing it at least once, once a slot, um, have just done it a huge amount better. There are equivalent democratic societies that have performed far, far better than the UK, notwithstanding the vaccines over the last six or eight weeks. And but unfortunately, that's, that's the IEA's... That's an extremely... That's a really So I'll just finish point. by saying, by just saying no, that the IEA's um, right in challenging shibboleths and challenging making us feel better... But it was pretty thin, I thought, on saying, actually, there are some very social democratic, Christian democratic countries that spend lots of money that actually do it a lot better than we do. Sorry, Kate. No, I I think that's an important point, because actually, I think it it fits in with the NHS narrative in particular, which is that um, these social insurance healthcare systems that you see in Germany um, and throughout Europe have also performed better on many accounts. And I think the paper at the end actually does say it's not claiming that there's only one way to do this, that the free market approach is always better, that more government interference is always better. It's, It's saying it's a mixed bag. And I think the difficulty in the UK is that 
we should be we have the highest excess death rate in Europe from this virus. We should be discussing these points. And yet many Absolutely. people will say you can't even question these points. You can't even ask the question. And, and that's what I find so concerning. You're never going to get change. And throughout this crisis, you know, we've seen the NHS, the NHS perform hugely well on vaccines, but we've had many other problems when it comes to care homes, when it comes to discharging patients from hospitals into care homes, when it comes uh, to, to how we've handled this crisis. And you can't say that all the failures are the government's and all of the successes ah, are the NHS's well, because I, they are I, I one and the same. There will be people listening to this shouting at the radio, ah, oh, that's Boris Johnson's fault. He made the decision about who should be released from hospitals into care homes. He made the decision about lockdowns. And, you know, all the bad stuff falls at the Prime Minister's feet. Uh, whereas the good stuff, you're totally right, becomes the, the NHS thing. There's an extraordinary story, I mean, taking this even further, extraordinary story in the Times today of... Uh, off the back of this report from the this uh, the, the Institute of Economic Affairs, um, the the guy who runs it um, uh, has given the chairman uh, of the IEA has has in, in the past donated thirty two thousand pounds to Matt Hancock, who's obviously the health secretary, and the Labour Party is now demanding that he returns the money from Neil Record because the organisation that he chairs has produced a report which says that the NHS is nothing special. I mean, this. I mean, the idea that that that, that now anyone related to an organisation uh, that dares to question the NHS can therefore not donate to a political party. You know, the, the nature ridiculous. of political donations. But it's just, it's just. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, we are in danger of all agreeing on this. But um, it does strike me as like a bit crackers that we can't say that there are bits of the NHS which don't work brilliantly well. Well, it's also um, a bit of a misinterpretation, I think. Uh, I don't know if it's deliberate or if they just don't know. Um, but Neil Record is a voluntary chairman. It's an unpaid position. Um, and he's not running the IEA. The director general runs the IEA. I think the IEA said he hadn't even seen the report when it had come out. In a personal capacity, before Matt Hancock was <laughs> health secretary, he made this donation. Um, and if we're, you know, I think it, it, it really is trying to police thought, is trying to police opinion. And, you know, I can't think of a time um, really in, in, in recent history where we've needed debate and, and I, I new ideas circulating more because we have to come back from this crisis and we're going to need some innovative, bold ideas. You don't have to agree with them, but, you know, at least listen to them. Don't try to shut them down. I think probably what's going on here is just a little bit of uh, the Labour Party trying to be a bit spikier and, you know, try, <laughs> they, they seem to have decided that this week is cronyism week and, uh, <laughs> You know, every, every bit of evidence they can find, and then they go and appoint a, you know, a failed Tory MP and minister as the head of some government body, which all sort of slightly helps, which is a sort of separate point. So, yeah, it does just feel, feel like they sort of uh, leapt on that. Um, John, let's talk about um, border controls, um, which once again, we seem to be in Goldilocks territory, where um, it has been declared they are both uh, too little, too late, and uh, not, not substantial enough, while also being excessively draconian and uh, uh, an outrageous attack on civil liberties. You know, the threat of uh, uh, 10 years in prison if you lie about where you've been when you arrive in the country. Uh, where, where do you stand on this? Which, which, which of the three bears are you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can, they, it, it, you can actually be all of those things. Um, if, if you <laughs> forgot to put the oven on um, and then you realise, oh, my God, I've got to produce the food in 20 minutes, you then turn it up far higher than you originally intended, uh, hoping that you're going to, uh, whatever you're cooking is going to come out uh, right at the end. And of course it doesn't. This is, I mean, the border 
fiasco. I always have to think of synonyms for fiasco, Ferrari, <laughs> mayhem, crisis, we'll, we'll get mess up. I could, I could think of other words that would not, <laughs> that would not pass the taste uh, threshold as well. Um, is is in in line with this government. I mean, we are an island, and the whole point of Brexit was to quote take back control of our borders. It's a it's a hell of a lot easier to control your borders if you're an island. We could have done so much more spring, summer, autumn, winter, which wasn't necessarily doing this knee jerk sort of ten years. Oh, and by the way, put them on the <laughs> rack and then put them in solitary and then burn them and then drown them. You know, I mean, it's just sort of ridiculous nonsense. Uh, well, all you needed, all we needed to do was do what other sensible countries think or islands think of New Zealand or whatever, whatever, and have very strict uh, arrival uh, controls. And Australia, when you arrive immediately two weeks in a hotel, no great uh, drum roll. You just do it and everybody does it. And as a result, precious few outbreaks. And instead, because they did absolutely, am I, uh, am I allowed to say sweet FA? That's not rude. Um, for for months on end, uh, they've now now done this ridiculous uh, sort of knee jerk overreaction and partial reaction at the same time. Yeah, where do you stand on on this cake? Ten, I mean, part of me did think ten ten years is just such a ridiculous length of time, and people have pointed out that you know ten years. Uh, um, uh, for, you know, is in line with violent offences and you know serious <laughs> sexual offences, um, or, or perhaps even more in some cases. That actually would would a year in prison not have been you know sufficient threat for someone to admit they'd been to somewhere uh, that needed to be declared on a form arriving back in the UK. Yeah, it felt like a, a policy designed to grab headlines, but of course it could actually quite severely impact people's lives. And that's the thing about policy. So uh, you do have to keep that in mind. It suggested to me, um, speculating, of course, that they're a bit worried about policing this, that perhaps their systems aren't up to scratch and they need the cooperation of people to voluntarily come forward and say where they're coming from or where they've been because um, they're not totally convinced they're going to catch them. Of course, I'm not sure that their systems perhaps not being up to scratch is a great reason to bring in a 10-year jail sentence. Um, but, you know, I, I think more more broadly here, I, I'm not convinced that the UK, even if it tried, could ever do what Australia or New Zealand did for many reasons. Reasons. Um, you know, I think the fact that it is an island, um, it doesn't quite work. Um, I think that, you know, if you look at immigration patterns, if you look at transport hubs, if you look at, you know, economies overall, if you look at where food is imported from, I think you would have still been seeing many outbreaks, which they do in Australia and New Zealand, and then still yeah, have to do, do lockdowns yeah. for, for millions but, of but, people. So it's, not, Kate, a, it's I mean, not a silver uh, bullet. The management of Heathrow Airport, all our airports, said oh, it's been for months now yeah. that they that they could do this it's not very difficult you can't normally well you could try to sort of jump over the fence uh of, of the border force when you're trying to get into the country but it's not that hard you show the person you know and you can look up on uh flight indicators you know not just the the last flight you've taken but where your journey originated from and thank you very much. You've come from Country X. Would you please step to the left? One of my colleagues uh, will um, deal with you uh, from here on in, at which point you then leave to the left. You go down a corridor wearing your mask. You're put on a bus and then you're, you're, you're taken to uh, the lovely whichever hotel uh, half a mile up the road. 
it's not rocket science. If we could have done this any time. Well, I agree. It's it's been remarkable to oh, go ahead, Matt. <clears throat> no, 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 no. Carry on, Kate. I was just gonna. It's it's been remarkable to 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 watch the big airports try to convince the government that they can actually sensibly handle these things, whether whether that be quarantine, whether that be testing, um, and very often it's it's thrown back in their face. But I I I sympathise slightly with the government here in trying to strike the right balance. And um, when Matt Hancock spoke to the Spectator in January, uh, he was asked some of the things that he regretted about the first lockdown, and one of them was that he didn't think that all the policies were very humane, not allowing people who had been married for fifty years to go to each other's funeral. And I think the government recognises that there are real human costs to having the policies that Australia and New Zealand have. And I don't blame them for trying to find some centre ground. But I completely agree that in, in the delayed, very delayed process of doing that, it's a bit strange that countries that months ago required a negative PCR test to come into their country. Well, the UK is now doing that and you have to have two more tests after you arrive. It does feel a bit like overkill or overcompensation for lack of action perhaps a year ago. John Kampner and Kate Andrews uh, joining me there. Uh, coming up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. And that's right, Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times, joins me now. Afternoon, Tim. What are we expecting today at PMQs? It's going to be a rip-snorter, isn't it? There's so much to go at. I mean, you've got, you know, 10 years in the slammer for lying on your form as you come into the country. Um, Keir Starmer's been very into this whole cladding story, and it sounds like, um, you know, a wet lettuce has been presented uh, uh, to the people who need all this money and um, they're not going to pay for people i think it's it's over 18 meters high if your building is 18 meters high you you'll have to borrow the money rather than get given it there'll be people out there now running tape measures down the outside of their flammable cladding as we speak um starmer can have a lot of fun with that uh, there's more cronyism doing the rounds um james wharton who helped run boris johnson's um leadership election is uh, now the head of uh, a, a, a further education uh, enterprise. 
um, and he's never had any experience of it. Fill your boots, Keir Starmer. Well, let's let's see. We can go to the covers right now. This is Keir Starmer. ...to vaccinate the first four priority groups by the end of this week. That's a truly amazing achievement. Can the Prime Minister confirm today that the government will extend business rate relief beyond March 31st? Uh, I'm afraid, Mr. Speaker, I'm, I'm glad to hear him uh, join in praise of the, uh, of the vaccine uh, rollout, which is in, in, indeed, I think, a tribute to the NHS uh, staff and uh, the army, uh, the volunteers, and many, many others. Uh, and uh, on his uh, point about the uh, extension of business rate, business rate relief, uh, he knows that this government is committed to supporting businesses and people, uh, livelihoods uh, throughout the pandemic. That is what we will continue to do, but he should wait uh, until the budget uh, for the Chancellor uh, to uh, explain exactly what we're going to do. OK, well, let's jump in there. First thing you need to know, uh, Times Radio listeners, is that Boris Johnson's hair looks wild uh, today. Um, uh, these, these, I'm not sure what that, as a barometer, what that tells us about um, uh, what's really going on. Um, uh, do you suspect that Keir Starmer's got a lot of questions to ask and Boris Johnson's going to apply, wait for the budget to all of them, Tim? Uh, well, if, uh, if he's silly enough to ask a load of questions about the budget, um, that's the answer he's going to get. Um, but one imagines that he has a cunning plan which is going to involve taking Boris Johnson down a pathway that he doesn't want to go down. But so far, it's uh, an easy one to bat off. OK, well, let's find out. Let's go. Uh, having got nowhere with question one, let's see if Keir Starmer has more success with question two. Mr Speaker, I think that answer was that the Prime Minister can't give an answer yet. But hundreds of thousands of businesses are oh, that affected was the by this. Was. And the trouble is, Mr Speaker, that businesses don't work as slowly as the Prime Minister. They need an answer now. As the British Chamber of Commerce says, businesses simply can't wait until the March budget. Let me try another vitally important question for businesses and for millions of working people. Can the Prime Minister confirm today that the furlough scheme will be extended beyond April? Uh, Mr Speaker, I think most people... I'll tell you what, if we jump in there, Tim, should we have a guess uh, what, what Boris Johnson's well, response is going to be? For the budget, but, but really, he doesn't even need to wait for the budget. He could have just read the Sunday Times for the last two weeks, which has basically said that the furlough scheme will be extended. All the indications coming out of the Treasury is that Rishi Sunak will extend all of these schemes until such point uh, as this crisis is over. Uh, Keir Starmer knows that. He's just trying to get him to say it. And Boris Johnson is falling up back on the answer that every Prime Minister gives in these circumstances. But clearly, there are businesses that are suffering and this may have a little bit of traction with some of them, but as slightly pointless parliamentary uh, uh, shenanigans go, this is up there, I would say. I suppose what it does do is it does put, it appears to put Keir Starmer on the side of those businesses by saying, come on, you need to confirm it. And it's, it's making Boris Johnson look a bit squirmy, but, you know, wait for the budget. Let's see how Boris Johnson says, wait for the budget country are aware that we're going through a very serious uh, pandemic in which rates of infection have been steadily brought down thanks to the efforts of the rich people. I think also members of this House are familiar uh, with the notion that in just a few days we will be setting out a roadmap for the way out of this uh, pandemic, a roadmap that I hope uh, the right honourable gentleman and his colleagues uh, will support. Though the support, as we know, is, tends to be a transitory thing, uh, Mr Speaker. One week we have it, the next week uh, we don't. Uh, but he won't have to contain himself for very long. Well, there we are. That was very much a, uh, you, won't, you won't have to wait long for me to tell you uh, what is coming or isn't. Uh, so, yeah, we, still that... three weeks away, to be fair to Keir Starmer. Um, and even Boris Johnson's update on the rules is a fortnight away. Um, but, you know, it buys him time to get through this week. And let's look forward to next week with the same answer. <laughs> 
Well, let's see uh, what other question Keir Starmer's not going to get an answer to next. Mr Speaker, let me let the Prime Minister into a secret. He can take decisions for himself and he doesn't need to leave everything to the 11th minute. If I were Prime Minister, I'd say to businesses, we'll support you now. We'll protect jobs now. Because the CBI, the Federation of Small Businesses, the Institute of Directors and the British Chamber of Commerce have all said the same thing. They all say, Prime Minister, they can't wait until the budget. The Prime Minister may disagree with me, but he's actually disagreeing with businesses. Why does the Prime Minister think he knows better than British business? Let's just uh, jump Mr. in there, Speaker, Tim, because think... there's something that really uh, um, hit, resonated. Him, him having a dig at Boris Johnson saying he can take decisions for himself. He doesn't need to leave everything to the last minute. One of the things that has come up in all of the focus groups we do on Times Radio, and I think that's true of, of uh, the ones that you've done in the Sunday Times as well, is this sort of sense that comes in sometimes that Boris Johnson's sort of a puppet of other advisors around him, that he's... Um, you know, poor Boris Johnson, he's only doing what his advisors tell him and it doesn't always uh, quite work out properly. Uh, and that just feel as if that's something that Keir Starmer's trying to tap into. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, very strongly you get that sense of... Uh, it was certainly stronger when Dominic Cummings was around, um, but, uh, you know, there, a lot of people you listen to in focus groups say, well, you know, the scientific advice is this and that and he has to follow it and it keeps changing and it's all rather complicated. So he gets cut quite a lot of slack by the great British public um, in uh, the sessions I've sat through. But what has also cut through, and Keir Starmer knows this, is there is a general sense that's widely shared, even amongst Johnson's supporters, uh, that he's been pretty slow uh, to make the big moves on lockdowns. Um, uh, I think, you know, most people think he was slow into all three of the lockdowns we've had. Um, and they show, interestingly, a, a marked uh, reluctance uh, to leave them, you know, compared with what the leader of the opposition and some of the business groups are showing. So, uh, ironically, while the business groups probably will applaud Keir Starmer, um, a lot of the British public um, uh, is sympathetic to keeping lockdown, you know, until this thing is properly under control. Yeah, it's one of those things when the Sunday papers are told by Labour sources that they, they want to present themselves as the party of business. We're now seeing that played out um, in full effect with Keir Starmer uh, do, doing just that. Let's go back then and see what uh, Boris Johnson had to say in response. That uh, most uh, business people that I've talked to, I've talked to a great many uh, in the last uh, 12 months, would agree that there is no government around the world that has done more to support business, wrapping our arms uh, around business. And actually, I, I'm delighted to hear this enthusiasm uh, for business from the, uh, from the Labour Party uh, when they stood on a manifesto to destroy uh, capitalism at uh, the last election and indeed to dismantle the very pharmaceutical industry, uh, Mr Speaker, that has provided uh, the vaccines on which we now rely. Will he now repudiate that policy, Mr Speaker? Well, before we find out about that, there's quite a lot. <laughs> uh, once again, uh, international comparisons are allowed when uh, Britain is doing well on those. So, yeah, Britain's done more than anything, any other country to help putting their arms around business. I thought they'd stopped using that phrase. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, we all know what the Prime Minister once said he wanted to do to business. We on these benches would rather listen to businesses. So, so we've no decision on business rates, no decision on furlough. Let's try another crucial issue. And, and Prime Minister, no, no excuse for delaying this time, because this has to be decided before the March budget, and the Prime Minister doesn't need to check with the Chancellor. So will the Prime Minister now commit to extending the evictions ban on residential properties beyond February the 21st? 
Right, let me just explain a bit of what, what went on there. So you had Boris Johnson having a dig at Keir Starmer for standing on a manifesto in 2019, uh, obviously under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, as he described it, which wanted to destroy capitalism, uh, was uh, his description of it. it, it, it uh, Tim Shipman's uh, back with us now. It is interesting, this line that the, uh, that the Tories had just started to roll out a little bit, that the last Labour manifesto wanted to break up precisely the, the big pharma pharmaceutical industry, uh, which um, has done such extraordinary work on the on the vaccines this year. Do you think that's landing? Well, it would land better if uh, Keir Starmer had been more sympathetic to the Jeremy Corbyn regime. I mean, you've seen some Corbynistas uh, in recent weeks making similar points. They really don't like um, uh, these big pharmaceutical firms, even though they're the ones who have... Uh, sorted out the problem um, to a large degree. Um, you know, that's a very ideological position that they adopted. And the last leadership of the Labour Party was extremely ideological. Keir Starmer wasn't terribly comfortable with it either. So I think I think the public can kind of smell that that is, while it might be a good debating point, it's, it's probably a, a bit unfair to park it at the door of Keir Starmer. But, you know, he's still, you know, it's a legitimate political tactic. And Starmer has to, you know, um, show why it's not fair. Um, be interesting to see whether he does or whether he just ignores it. Uh, he may well do. But he, his response was the um, uh, was to refer to. We, we all know what the prime minister said he wanted to do to business, which of course he was caught in, a, in the height of the Brexit uh, discussions. He was caught speaking at an event uh, using the uh, phrase "f business," a word that I won't repeat on the radio because I get into almost as much trouble as Boris Johnson got into at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, Boris Johnson has form. I mean, his friends would tell you the context of that was that he was having a pop at the big business groups rather than business per se. But it's, a, you know, again, it's a simple phrase that has stuck to him. And that's why Keir Starmer thinks there's a bit of an opening here. Um, I think what business wants, um, according to the people I've spoken to, is a, a slow considered emergence from uh, this uh, COVID situation in such a way that we do not go back into a fourth lockdown. And that appears to be the policy that Boris Johnson and his senior ministers have adopted in the last six weeks. Um, and at the moment, while I can understand why Keir Starmer wants to go after uh, Boris Johnson on business, um, uh, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of uh, discontent between the business community and, and number 10 at the moment. They, they seem content that, uh, that Johnson and Sunak in particular are doing this in a way that they want yeah, and also, I mean, I'd picked up speaking to some some business people, although, you know, not everything has gone brilliantly with Brexit. And, you know, there are particular issues with particular sectors or particular ports, or whatever. On the whole, it wasn't as bad as all of their, you know, contingency planning may have feared. So, um, you know, it, not as bad as the total catastrophe we expected is, you know, that's bogus. That's bogus. All right, let's go back to the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, I've said repeatedly that what we will do uh, in this government and throughout this pandemic is put our arms around the British people, support them throughout the pandemic and make sure that people are not unfairly evicted during the pandemic. That is what we will, uh, we will do. Uh, I, what I hope very much, Mr Speaker, is that we may hear from the right honourable gentleman opposite that he not only has now uh, had a, a Damascene uh, conversion uh, to the importance of, of business, uh, but a Damascene conversion uh, to supporting all the government's policies uh, to support business, rather than sniping from the sidelines why doesn't he just get behind us and back the government back us in our efforts to back business and back the british people yes this this all feels terribly familiar to the um uh, the focus group we had this week on the one hand uh um uh, uh 
Boris, uh, Boris uh, Keir Stom is, you know, trying to position himself as being uh, more pro-business. Uh, Boris Johnson using the line, well, he's just sniping from the sidelines. And that's something that's come up again and again and again. The public seem more willing to give the government the benefit of the doubt. And they think that, that, that sometimes Boris John, uh, that Keir Starmer is just sort of nitpicking uh, rather than doing anything constructive. Yeah, no, I hear the same things. Um, and, uh, you know, Going back to what you said earlier, Boris Johnson's hair being wild is generally a sign that he's in a good mood. Um, he doesn't feel he has to present himself in a sort of particularly statesmanlike way. Uh, you know, he's happy, go lucky, like his hair. Um, and so far, this is a session that he's sort of dealing with reasonably happily. I suppose also, I mean, to the extent that we can read anything into it, uh, Keir Starmer asking for extensions of furlough, extensions of business rate relief and so on. As you point out, the Sunday Times has already reported that's likely to happen. Boris Johnson not even having to really bother engaging with the question because he knows it is coming. He's, he hasn't having to, it's a terrible sort of Westminster phrase, but pitch roll bad news on those fronts. Or, you know, he hasn't, he isn't having to say, well, look, we've always said that furlough is going to come to an end. And, you know, this is the opportunity, you know, um, he's quite happy to just say, wait and see, because good old wish he's getting his checkbook out again. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they both know what's what's coming and they're both pretending they don't. Um, just as well we're here, Matt. <laughs> good, exactly. And this is why this is such a, a much better way to experience uh, Parvis's questions rather than letting it just all wash over you bafflingly. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons again. Mr Speaker, I'm not going to take lectures from a man who wrote two versions of every column he ever wrote as a journalist, who proposed Donald Trump for a Nobel Peace Prize and gave Dominic Cummings a pay rise. Back to the question. Another area where the Prime Minister repeatedly delayed and now changes policy pretty well every day is securing our borders against variants of COVID. Every week the Prime Minister comes here and says we've got one of the toughest regimes in the world. We know his Home Secretary disagrees with him. We know the Health Secretary disagrees with him. Luckily, Mr Speaker, Oxford University keep track of how tough border restrictions are in every country. They say that there are at least 33 countries around the world which currently have tougher restrictions for the United Kingdom. 33, Prime Minister, including Canada, Denmark, Japan, Israel. There are many others. In fact, they say we're not even in the top bracket of countries for border restrictions. Fifty days after we first discovered the South African variant. Fifty days. How does the Prime Minister explain that? Mr. Speaker. I'm going to refer to Keir Starmer and say, I think that was a, it, with a packed House of Commons, I think he'd have got a good laugh for that dig at um, uh, Boris Johnson about, I'm not going to take any lectures from the bloke who wrote two versions of every column, uh, suggested Do uh, Donald Trump win the Nobel Peace Prize and gave Dominic Cummings a pay rise. I mean, it landed completely flat in a House of Commons with almost nobody in it. But that's a, that's not, a, and it seemed relatively spontaneous. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was decent. I mean, it would become as news to all the people who sat in newspaper offices waiting for Boris Johnson to file just one column uh, once a week, <laughs> um, which he tended to do about three hours late. Um, famously, of course, he wrote two columns uh, about Brexit, um, uh, though even that's slightly misleading because one of them was deliberately bad to convince himself that he'd made the right decision. Uh, but yes, it was a decent joke. Um, and, you know, all of that stuff resonates with the public. Um but it has uh, not really got us anywhere um, uh, today. I mean, what does perhaps cut through is this, you know, Labour know this border stuff 
works. You know, Starmer's got this good line about schools being shut and the border being open. You know, Boris Johnson keeps saying we've got some of the toughest restrictions in the world. Well, we're not in the top 33. So, um, you know, there's pushing 200 ah, countries you're making, in the world. You're making one of the bad international comparisons now, Tim. You remember um, mm. we were allowed to make international comparisons when it comes to business support, where Britain's doing terribly well, or possibly even vaccine rollout, where Britain's also doing terribly well. Uh, but you're not allowed to do it if we're not is, uh, doing terribly well on borders. No, and this is, you know, in a sense, this is one of those ones I find most frustrating because Labour have got some cut through here. People, you know, I hear in these focus groups, people really, really, really want the border totally shut. You know, some people because they always want the border shut. And but even quite a lot of sort of, you know, progressive remainers who think, you know, we need to just keep all these variants out. Um, you can't do that indefinitely, of course. And, the, the, you know, it's not that the government is just sitting there completely inept. Um, you know, there, there are moments where you wonder. Um, but on this, you know, they genuinely don't think you should be shutting the whole place down and they need to explain why you know there are economic reasons for that there are some health efficacy reasons that actually is how effective can it really be um but you never hear the prime minister make that argument and he's actually he sort of allows starmer in to to bash him about the head on borders and and you know he could be a little bit straighter with the public on this well, particularly because it's one of those things where it when where the opposition is taking a, a position which just sounds like common sense. If you don't want something to come into the country, stop anything coming into the country. Sounds like common sense. And so it's a slightly more complicated argument the government has to make uh, in response. And they just don't seem to be making it at the moment. But let's, let's go back to the comments. Yeah, there is, thank you, Mr. Speaker, there, is, there are some countries in, in Europe that do not even have a hotel quarantine uh, scheme such as the one we're putting in on Monday. We have amongst the toughest border regimes anywhere in the world. And people should understand that on a normal day, Mr. Speaker, uh, at this time of year, you could expect about 250,000 people uh, to be arriving in this country. We've got it down to about 20,000, um, 5,000 of them whom are involved in bringing vital things into this country, such as medicines and, uh, and food, as we discussed last week, and he agreed that was a, a, a good idea, Mr. Speaker. Uh, unless he actually wants to cut this country off from the rest of the world, which I think last week he said he didn't want to do, unless, of course, he changed uh, his mind again, Mr. Speaker. We ha- I think that this uh, policy is measured, it is proportionate, it is getting tougher from Monday. I hope uh, that he supports it. You know, some European countries don't even have the thing that we don't even have yet. We don't even have it for five more days. <laughs> it's only been 11 months. How can how can there be countries that still don't have what we don't have? Yeah, what we've not got around to do it. There are even there are countries even slower to this than than than, than we are. Uh, well, let's see if that um, has placated Keir Starmer in, in any fashion. Mr. Speaker, the truth is this: the Prime Minister is failing to give security to British businesses and he's failing to secure our borders. The Prime Minister often complains that we never put forward constructive proposals. So here's two for him. Support businesses and protect jobs now by extending furlough, business rate relief and VAT cuts for hospitality. And second, secure our borders with a comprehensive hotel quarantine on arrival. No more delays. Will he do it? (laughs) Mr Speaker, we've just announced... Uh, the uh, the quarantine policy, which, as I've said to the House, uh, is amongst the the toughest in the in the world, uh, and 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 tougher than than m- most other European countries. Certainly, I'm delighted that he's now supporting 
business in his latest stunt of bandwagoneering. Uh, not, a, not a policy for which he was, uh, he was famous uh, before, Mr. Speaker. Uh, but he, you know, he moves from one side of the other in the debate uh, throughout this crisis. And uh, some people, Mr. Speaker, on, uh, some people have said that this is a good crisis. Mr. Speaker, some people have said this is a good crisis. Some people have said, some people have said uh, that this crisis is a gift that keeps on giving, Mr. Crisis, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, those people sit on the Labour front bench. I think it is disgraceful that they should say those things. I believe this is one of the biggest challenges this country has faced since the Second World War. And thanks to one of the fastest vaccine rollouts anywhere in the world, I believe it is a challenge this country can meet and is meeting. And I believe that of that vaccine rollout programme, this House and this country should be very proud. Well, there we are. There was a, pot of bit of, uh, a pot of bit of politics on display for both sides there. Keir Starmer, again, calling for things he knows are coming so that when they come, he can claim credit for them, uh, uh, extending uh, furlough, business rates relief and VAT cuts for hospitality. That all seems to be coming down the track uh, in the budget. And then Boris Johnson replying with a stunt of bandwagoneering, an excellent uh, made up word. Um, explain what he's talking about there, Tim, with uh, Labour people talking about this being a good crisis. Uh, yes, uh, Charlie Faulkner, the uh, bigwig under Tony Blair, who's been a bigwig under pretty much every Labour leader since, um, uh, he made some incautious remarks um, at, uh, I think, on a Zoom call that he was on recently. Um, Charlie Faulkner works as a barrister when he's not being a, a very eminent uh, Labour politician. And um, he was basically saying, it's great. They keep changing the law so all the lawyers can cash in. It's the gift that keeps on giving, which is the kind of stupid, facetious remark that a lot of lawyers make in private. But when those remarks find their way to the front page of newspapers and you're also a politician, it's all a bit embarrassing. Um, I would have put um, a decent portion of this month's mortgage on Boris Johnson mentioning it at some point. Um, And as you say, bandwagoneering was a nice pre-prepared word. The the thing for me that excites me is whether Mr. Crisis is now going to replace Captain (laughs) Hindsight as his preferred phrase for Keir Starmer. I think he was so keen to get out the crisis. It's a good crisis uh, uh, gambit. Yeah, he he was trying to say Mr. Speaker, it became Mr. Crisis. But maybe... Maybe maybe this is a, a Mr. Cross is a thing that will stick. Now I should point out, unusually, um, we're we're still we've still got loads of questions. To, but they were much, but the pair of them were much pithier today. Yeah, this um, is very, uh, we're not normally we, we normally do about three or four more minutes with these guys. Um, yeah, because they're, they're still blathering on. So it does mean we the, the joy of joys. It does mean we've got time before the news break uh, for Ian Blackford. So now let's hear from the SNP's leader in Westminster. One point three million children under five are living in poverty in the United Kingdom. This is a truly shocking figure that should make this Tory government utterly ashamed. The Scottish National Party has repeatedly called for a financial package to boost household incomes and reverse this Tory child poverty crisis. The Prime Minister has the power to tackle child poverty right now by making the £20 uplift to universal credit permanent and by extending it to legacy benefits. The Tory government's been stalling on this for months. Will the Prime Minister finally act, or will he leave millions of children out in the cold? Minister. Mr Speaker, I think that the 
uh, whole house in this country should be proud of the way we've tried to look after people, the poorest and neediest families throughout uh, the country, uh, not just uh, with uh, universal credit, which uh, the party opposite would actually abolish, uh, Mr Speaker, but by helping uh, vulnerable people with their food and their, uh, their, their heating bills, the £170 million uh, winter grant scheme, looking after people uh, with the, the free school meal vouchers. And as I've said before, Mr Speaker, we all put our arms around the people of this entire country uh, throughout the pandemic. We could probably file that away again, uh, Tim, as uh, people asking for things ahead of the budget, um, which they can either take credit for or afterwards demand to know why they weren't listened to. Well, it suggests that Ian Blackford's been reading The Times because The Times suggested that um, uh, Boris Johnson is going to get Rishi Sunak to extend uh, the universal credit uplift for six months. Um, Lots of people have been pushing for it to be extended for a year. Uh, The Treasury, as is their way, have been pushing to not spend any money. Um, Rishi Sunak wanted a one-off payment. He's been overruled. Um, uh, You know, people who are well plugged in have written that it will be six months. And Ian Blackford's said, right, I'll ask for that then. Great. (laughs) And what are you hearing, Tim, in terms of, because what is it now, two, three, three weeks until the budget? Um, What is the mood in the Treasury like? Is Richie Sunak's become the most popular man in Britain in the last 12 months? Uh, He's only been in the job 12 months, uh, I think, sort of this week or next week. Uh, What you've, how, how is his current prospects, you know, has he got tough decisions to make or is he going to put them off again? I think for the most part, he'll be putting them off again. I think this government is actually rather less at war with itself than it was a few months ago. Um, traditionally, the Treasury wants not to spend any money and Downing Street wants to spend all the money. Um, and <laughs> you've seen rows over uh, you know, furloughing, you've seen rows over COVID support. And basically, you know, Sunak has got some kind of arrangement with Boris Johnson. They've been having a lot of dinners together whereby he'll cough up the money now for a few more months. The schemes that were Keir Starmer was asking about will get extended. Um, and then they'll put in place a sort of successor regime with lots of stuff to boost jobs and skills and all that kind of thing. But essentially that furlough money will uh, peel away. They're not going to keep paying everybody's wages forever. Um, and they realise they'll have some kind of unemployment crisis. But there's basically an agreement. You come slowly out of uh, out of the lockdown, you support um people uh, for the time being and then you put in place something else which comes in you know either in the summer or the autumn um that looks a little bit different um Rishi Sunak will probably make a few token efforts to claw back some money there'll be a little you know he'll be able to say to the markets look I'm doing a tiny bit of consolidation here but you're not going to see massive tax rises in the budget all that stuff's uh, for later in the year Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via smart speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.